tonight as we pick it up on the back end of chapter 12, they're really just kind of sealing the fruit and really set in order. This is the way it is. This is the future of Israel. You're governed by a king. This is your king, and this is the way it is. But yet one more time, Samuel, the prophet, is, it would appear he's scolding the people yet again for their insisting that they have an earthly king when God is their king. And with that background, he had said in the latter part around chapter 15, 16, that God was going to give them a sign. We saw all those signs for Saul last week that he would be the king. And now the people are gathered together and he's going to give them a sign. And the sign is God's going to send this thunder and rain during the wheat harvest as a sign to them that they've done rebelliously and wickedly in asking for a king an earthly king instead of God being their king and their covenant with them. And again, the timeline is about 1000 BC in the Old Testament under the Mosaic Covenant. And so in verse 18, we pick it up tonight where it says this. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it pleased the Lord to make you his people." Moreover, as for me, far it be for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And after this, it just goes on into life after King Saul. This is that final sort of inventory. You ask for a king. This is your king. This is what you get. But in this text, the focus isn't so much on Saul being the king. The focus is on the people and where they're at and asking for this king. And now they have this king. And it's not God's best, but he is their king. And really, if you were to summarize what God says to them in this passage after this great and mighty sign where the people are fearing the Lord properly, the invitation comes from Samuel for yet another chance. It really is another chance for the people of Israel. Now, we remember that during the time of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And God gave them some good judges who did good things, but essentially for 300 plus years, it was pretty lawless in the land of God. There were faithful people like Ruth, which we saw the story of Ruth and Boaz, but really very challenging times. And now all that changes. The time of the judges gives way to the time of kings. And this first king is King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. He will be rejected by the Lord for his sin and rebellion, be replaced by David from the line of the tribe of Judah, which was the promised prophecy back in the book of Genesis, through which all the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ are related. But this just random experience with King Saul as their king for a while. Remember, he's taller than anyone else in Israel. He's better looking than anyone else because the Holy Spirit tells us that. He's an extremely good-looking man. He's handsome. He's tall. 
he looks like a king in people's eyes. Like he should be the guy that's calling the shots for us. And now the people, they've got him. He's their king. And so in this background, the, the Lord is speaking through Samuel and he's given them another chance. The Bible tells us, of course, that his mercies are new every morning. The Bible is always, the Holy Spirit's always looking to bring people to repentance and restoration and renewal and revival with the Lord. Because we do tend to be like sheep that go astray. If we're not nurturing our faith and building ourselves up in our faith, if we have faith in Jesus, we are going to drift from our faith. That's why the Bible warns in the book of Hebrews about drifting and fading away. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness before anything else each day. And then all the things that could cause us stress and fretting will be added to us. We just need the kingdom perspective and we need to see Jesus on the throne, high and lifted up as the author and finisher of our faith. And when we have that perspective, we're, we're good. But his mercies are new every morning and they have to be because in essence, if we don't do anything, we'll drift away. And even if we do the right things, we're prone to still stumble into the wrong things. That's just reality for all of us. So as we look at this text, we are reminded yet again that God wants to, in his church and here at Worship Generation, for us tonight and for the body of Christ as a whole, what he's always doing in our individual lives, in our homes, our families, in our local church, in our community, in a nation, and with the body of Christ on planet Earth, He's constantly, through faith in Jesus, the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, by the redemption that Christ provides us, constantly bringing people back to himself. He's constantly renewing, reviving, restoring, and building up that which is broken, making straight that which is crooked, that sort of a thing. That's what the Lord's always doing in our lives and in the world around us for the church. So with that in mind, here in the very beginning of like another chance, because God's given them another chance, the people say in verse 19, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Sin discourages us. And some people just deny sin. But sometimes we're so frustrated with sin, we feel like we're never going to have victory over sin, that we just get disheartened. And we just people just don't even try walking with the Lord. They just walk away from the Lord. Like, I'm never going to have victory. This is too discouraging. This is too disheartening. It's a narrow gate. It's too hard. It's easier just to smoke weed, be an alcoholic, act like an idiot, and just let my marriage go to the wayside. And people do that all the time. It's easier to just do nothing for a lot of people, take no risk, and just be dependent upon other sources, whether it's government or handouts from family or strangers, than to just go forward. And so we just have to realize that, like, Sin is, we know that this is true because sin separates from the Lord. So sin is discouraging. It has a consequence. David himself said in the Psalms that when he was in sin without repentance, that his bones rotted within him and it, they ached within him. And we know that sin has a physical effect on the human body. So often people have physical sicknesses as a result of suppressed sin in their life, unconfessed sin and unrepented sin. We know that. So here the people are like, it's almost like, like when a drug addict does drugs again and train, like, you know, uh, train wrecks things. We did a drug and alcohol ministry for years in Vista, and you'd see people be clean for like five months, six months, seven months, no crystal meth, no coke, nothing like that. And then there they go. Just a little bit of prosperity, a little bit of money, 
and off they go on a binger weekend, and then they come back after tweaking for two nights or whatever, and they want to be restored to their wife, they want to still have their job on Monday, and, 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 and they can be so despondent, and it's a cycle. It'd be so frustrating. It'd be such a frustrating cycle because you want to encourage the wife to take him back, and now he's been clean for seven months, and oh, what a huge step back it is after you've been clean to seven months to fall back this way. And, and, and what happens, you'd find is people would just be so despondent. They'd be like, well, why even try? Why even try? My mom was an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Like, it's just the way it is. And, and you get this defeated attitude. And again, these, I'm talking in the context really people call themselves Christians. And you get a, a sense of being defeated. When I came back from Vermont, I did an outreach with a band with these young kids. They're really neat kids. Their names are uh, Tim and John Foreman. Their band at that time was called Chin Up. Chin Up was their first name of their band because they wanted to encourage people through their music. Of course, a year later, Chad Butler's kids joined their band and they became known as Switchfoot. But I remember at that outreach at North Coast Calvary, I asked the foreign boys, because I knew them from when they lived in Virginia Beach, they went to the church that I pastored. And I asked them, like, chin up, like, what, what's the deal? They're like, well, we want, we, want people to, we want people to be encouraged, we want people to go forward, we want their, these, they were teenagers at the time, both really good surfers too. Chin up. See, that's what Samuel is saying in this text here. Chin up. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, oh, no, like, like oh, I did it again. Oh, I, did, I can't believe I did it again. Like, oh, it's so frustrating. I'm trying to do the right thing. And I just, oh, now my wife's mad at me or my husband's mad at me. The boss has fired me. And You ever felt like that? Just like, or failure of marriage number three? It's like, there's so many things that will make us feel like a failure even when we're serving the Lord in Jesus' name. Because we have this treasured in earthen vessels. And the spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. You can, you can, just have, you can be so good with a certain situation in somebody in your life that's an agitation. And there it is on the fifth month. They just push that button and bingo, here we go. And you're like, you feel so frustrated. Like, I, 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 I've, instead of responding, I'm reacting. And this person just has the ability to push my buttons in such a way that I lose self-control of just responding, and now I'm just reacting. And you feel so frustrated. That's how they feel here. They're like, we've added to our sin the evil, asking for king. They finally, the people finally realized how evil it was what they did in asking for this king. And evidently it was very evil, as I said earlier, with the Lord. And then Samuel gives that encouraging word where he says, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness yet. You see, there's hope in that conversation. You have done all this wickedness. But that's not the end of the, the phrase. You have done. And when the word done is used, right, it's not like you're doing, present tense, done it's past tense. You've done past tense. The Lord right there through Samuel the prophet with his people of covenant is saying, they're saying, we are so wicked. I can't believe we did this to get all we, to add to all the other things we've done. We can add this wickedness. And Samuel says, yes, but you have done this, but that's not the end of it. 
Done is now past tense. And one thing we all can agree on right now on March 19, 2022, is none of us can change anything that happened before 6 p.m. of this night in our life. For better, for worse. Our, in the context is our worst actions, our sin, our failures, our despondency over things. We can't change anything. Now, there might be a phone call that can make things better, but really the actions that we would feel bad about or remorseful over, we, we can't change those things. Right? We can't. Like, I mean, you, you know, parents would say, like, oh, that's spilt milk or water under the bridge. Like, it's, it's, it's in the past. I really appreciate that the Lord puts the past in the past. And through the blood of Christ and the promises of his word and ever living and interceding for us right now, the Father, we have hope here and now because we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need to Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Now, what did the high priest do? He went in once a year for the nation of Israel to offer blood in the holiest of holies for atonement to make things right with God, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus is our great high priest who ever lives and intercedes for us and is always available to us and is always interceding for us who has died once for all to cleanse us from our sins. So through faith in Jesus Christ and being born again of the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ and with Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith, in our failures, there is confession because even in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord says, you know, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the context of the Lord's Prayer is this day. So always like being open to correction and reproof and instruction from the Holy Spirit in our life. But he's there to forgive us and cleanse us. Christ is not offered up continually like burnt sacrifices, trespass offerings and these things. He died once for all. And the sufficiency of his sacrifice on the cross is that which makes done, done. It's a finished work, and it puts our sins in the past. The devil would love to take what the Lord calls past tense and beat us up for it to hinder us from future tense of going forward and doing better things from our mistakes. There are consequences of our past sins that profoundly affect our lives. In some cases, relationships are never the same. In some cases, maybe jail time was served or a life was lost. There are consequences of things that are done that you can't change. And I've shared this before, but there at Big Calvary years ago, Calvary Costa Mesa, a man came up to me who had just been released from prison. He served seven years for a DUI where he killed a 17-year-old girl. He was drunk and he was driving the wrong way, and he killed a 17-year-old girl. And he was trying to go forward with the Lord. He can't bring her back. He served seven years, and he was in his early 30s, and he's got to try and go forward in life, right? Like, that's going to be with him the rest of his life, but that doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan for him. It doesn't mean God doesn't forgive or cleanse or pour out his spirit for something new and better in his life. Listen, Moses took a life, Paul took life, and David took life. So we understand that what's done is done and needs to stay done. And the devil wants to bring, and so often it's family members that want to bring the past back, right? That aren't saved. Isn't it so true? They want to remind you of all your failures. And uh, see, your family has stuff on you that no one else has. Everything. I love being with my sister. I had a great time with her. 
but Barbie can push my buttons. She just can. And it's like, oh, here we go, day two. And, and she can. And in all fairness to her, I can push her buttons too. But we want to build people up, not do things that push their buttons, right? The past needs to be the past. This is the idea and the thought that the Holy Spirit has through Paul when he's in prison writing the Philippians. And he says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what lies ahead to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And it's super important and of supreme macro priority in our life as followers of Christ that we can let what's done be done and, and receive forgiveness, own it, learn from it, but not let it discourage us to hang our head in despondency to be a quitter and to just give up. Yesterday's sin is no excuse for not going forward in the power of the Spirit today. Because that cheapens the cross and the power of the blood and the empty tomb. Yesterday's sins and failures are meant to be that which was done, but not that which is now. And if the Son came to set us free, and we're free indeed, then even if we feel like we haven't found that, we should be looking for that and going after that. Because if we haven't found that in areas of our life, it's not because it's not available to us, it's just because we're, there's something that needs to be worked out. But it's not because the promise isn't obtainable or applicable to the life of every single believer. It's because something, some self-determination, some choice, some self-will is not broken enough before the Lord to let the Lord do that. But some people, because they don't let God have dominion over this part of their life or these failures or these nightmares of the past or these failures of the past, they just quit. And haven't a lot of people quit in the last couple of years? A lot of people have quit. A lot of people kind of quit on life, actually. I mean, suicide is way up, way, way up in all age ranges. Suicide is way up. Because people are just like, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. People are just like, this is insane, right? We know things are insane, but that doesn't mean we quit. Like, we, here we go. Let's run the next play. Like, what's next? Like, that's what faith is. But we need to let the past be the past. We need to own, we need to own our failures. We need to let what's done be done. And we need to grow and learn from those things. And we need our chin up because Jesus Christ died for those sins. And we need our chin up and we need to go forward. So I just want to remind you tonight, first point on another chance, make sure the past stays in the past. Let's what, let what's done that's a failure, an embarrassment, keep it there. And don't let the devil bring it back. Don't let people bring it back. And don't you bring it back. And don't use it as an excuse for lack of growth and going forward with Jesus Christ today. That is completely unacceptable with the promises of God in Jesus' name. Now, the second thing is, so we got to own it. So we have to own it and put it in the past and keep it in the past. What's done is done. Yeah, we've added this, but, you know, Samuel says what's done is done. Past tense. Own it. It's no one's fault but your own. And we got to go forward. Now, then he says... 
you, you have done all this wickedness, there in verse 20, yet, see there's a comma, isn't it nice, it's not a period right there. Aren't you glad when we're being held accountable for our sins, that it doesn't just go like, oh, you've done all this wickedness, period. End of story, end of subject, end of sentence, end of paragraph. Aren't you glad that's not, or, but it's like, oh, there's a comma. Yeah, you've done all this wickedness, comma. Yet, and there's a few yets in the Bible, quite a few of them actually, but this is a really good one, so maybe circle it. I've got it highlighted and circled. Because when, when, when the prophet is telling you, the greatest prophet of the last 400 years says, yet you have done all this wickedness, you're like, oh man. Yet, there's, there's the lifeline. There's, there's, the, there's the, you know, the, the pool life preserver. Yet. Yet. That's not the end. Christ didn't die on the cross. He had the sentence end. You've done all this wickedness, period. Now go home. It's over. Hang your head and forget anything applies to you. You've done all this wickedness, and the resurrection tomb puts a comma there. The resurrection from the tomb puts a comma there and says, Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. What this is saying right here is don't let your failures of the past keep you from the glory and the calling of the present. That's what this is saying. That's what Samuel the prophet's saying. Yet, you just had thunder and lightning that scared you to death. You just had like Mount Sinai come to you in your wheat harvest to affirm to you you were wrong and evil and wicked and asking for a king. But we're not going to go despondent. We're not going to do a blame game. We're going to own it and realize we had done this, but now yet we are offered the opportunity to go forward. And again, that's what we are talking about earlier, that his mercies are new every morning. That no matter how dark yesterday was, spiritually or morally for any of us, today marks a new day and a new opportunity. His mercies are new. No, no matter what evil we've done, no matter what colossal failures we've had that might grieve us and break us and bring us to tears when we even think about it, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. Chin up and go forward. Do not turn aside. Don't make yesterday's failure an excuse to not do the right thing today, which is to walk the straight and narrow, to serve the Lord with all of our heart, to obey the Lord, and to do what's right. So do not turn aside from following the Lord. Just keep going forward, all right? Put that behind you. Do the right thing. You know, in sports, just hands down, women, men, the best athletes are the ones who put their failures behind them immediately. You give up the big goal in women's soccer, you gave it up. It's, it's the first half. It's one to nothing. Like, just, what, are you going to walk out the field now? No. What, make Tom, what makes Tom Brady such a great quarterback? The guy can throw an interception or a pick six, an interception for a touchdown. He just walks the sideline, he looks at what happened, goes back out there, and just drops 28 points in the fourth quarter on the Rams and almost does it again. The great closers in baseball, they give up a home run this night, a walk-off base hit that night. What happens the next week? They're back out there again. They, have, they say a, a reliever in baseball, that last pitcher in baseball that tries to save the game, they've got to have a bad memory. They've got to forget the game they blew the night before, and they've got to be in that moment. And as a, a former professional athlete, I always notice stuff like that. And by the way, in surfing, I'm going to tell you who the best surfers are. The ones who fall and are unfazed. Ones who fall, uh, Kelly Slater falls, 
it's, it's never in his head. He's just he's right on to the next thing, what he's got to do. By the way, Guillermo Mendina, the three-time world champion for Brazil, same thing. It, when he falls, which is really rare, it never rouses him. But I've seen other elite athletes in surfing in the top ten, when they fall at the wrong time, they fall apart. We've seen how that can happen, right? In figure skating. We've seen women win the gold in the long program in figure skating in times past with a fall on their first rotation, their first quadruple, triple, whatever. And then nail everything beautifully after that. They put it behind them. But we've seen women fall on the first one, and men too, then fall on the next one. And it just starts, and they're just melting down. It's so hard to watch five minutes of that, isn't it? It is. You almost want to turn it off. You're like, I, I can't watch this. This, this, is, this is too hard to watch. That's what it's like for the angels when they see you and me fall apart because of a bad day and carry it into the next day. You almost just want to change the channel, oh, anything but fishing channel, whatever, golf channel. I, just can't, I can't watch this. This is, this, is too, this is too hard to watch. No one wants to watch someone melt down where one mistake becomes another and another and another. And yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord. Reboot. And, you know, in dancing, when you get off cadence, you just stop. And then you get back on cadence. That's all you do. Same with music. I think Danny hits every chord perfectly. I'm sure he just, it happens. You just, you, just, you just keep moving. you got to keep moving forward. And, that, and that's what we got here. Is that yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord. So this is the exhortation. Okay, so we own our failures and our shortcomings, but we must keep them in the past. And then... We receive this exhortation, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. So we, we just say, yeah, we need to establish, we need to purpose. That's, that was then, this is now. Because the devil wants to come in like, hey, you know like how you had that colossal failure yesterday? Let's just add on to it. What's another day of a losing streak? Hey, if you're going to drink this time, why don't you drink that time? Hey, as long as you're smoking weed on Friday, why not smoke it on Friday, Saturday, Sunday too? Right? Like that's what happens. You see people doing so well sometimes with the Lord, and then they, they fall, and then it's like they trip, they trip, they trip, and like, and they just quit. When you see people do that, by the way, we have to, it's so important that we speak life and encouragement and build them up to, to do the right things. Know this for sure. Anyone that has failed has way more voices from human beings and from the devils themselves to keep them down, then voices speaking life and encouragement to build them up to go forward. So let's make sure in Jesus' name that we are speaking life and encouragement for people to go forward. People don't need to be beat down when they're already down. People need to be encouraged and offered mercy and grace and a hand and encouragement. I learned at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa so many years ago from watching Pastor Chuck Smith that if I'm going to err, I'm going to err in grace. Because plenty of people err in legalism and condescending judgment of other people within the church. So if I'm going to err, I'm going to err in grace. I'll deal with things. Everyone knows you've been here long enough. You know we'll deal with things. But I, I want to err in grace. I want to err in grace. And I want to give grace time to work 
a season before we just have to be a little less gracious if that's the way it is. And you parents with adult kids, you can relate to what I'm saying, right? <laughs> you can. So for us personally, we don't want to turn aside just because we've had a, a, a bad outing, a bad week, a bad month, or even a bad year. We can't just quit. We had a memorial here for a suicide a couple months ago, and it was just so sad. And I understand mental health. I don't understand mental health. But I understand mental health is a factor in these things. But it was just so sad. There was a way forward for that man. I'm sure of it. But that's not the way he chose. And that makes me sad every time I think about it. And I think about his wife and his children that were left behind. There is a hope to go forward always in Jesus' name. Which, by the way, is why people just love my sister's testimony. You know, I posted on Instagram Barbie being in town this week. You know, people love redemption. And people love redemption from drugs and alcohol. That's very inspiring to most people because most people know somebody who needs full redemption from drugs and alcohol. I posted a picture of my sister yesterday and quadruple the amount of comments I'd get for anything that I'd ever even post. And I just said, you know, my sister was homeless for five years on the streets, in and out of jail, a drug addict, alcoholic, all these things. And then now it's almost five years of sobriety. She's a homeowner, employee of the month at Home Depot, thriving in the Lord at Calvary Chapel, Vero Beach, thriving in the women's ministry. And really, it's amazing, like, just how she is with the Lord. Like, she's a spirit-filled woman. And God fully restored her mind. And it all goes back to the next thing, because when I saw her on Mother's Day five years ago, after preaching at Poncho's church, I went to visit to see my mom when she was still here. And I looked for my sister in all the hangouts, because homeless people have hangouts. You know that, right? They're, like, they're kind of like a circuit. They go in the course of a day. And I knew her hangouts. I couldn't find her. And then I, when I left my mom's, it was getting dark, and I saw my sister. And I'll never forget what I said to my sister. I saw her on the... I, Making the right turn, there she was with her grocery cart, like, Barbie, happy Mother's Day, and oh, Joe, and all, and, and we were talking, and she's like, well, it's too hard, and this and that, and I said, Barbie, the next thing in your life is to go to rehab and complete it, because she's always in court-appointed rehab, but never completing it, so the next thing for you is to complete the court-appointed rehab, because she's like, I don't even know where to begin, I'll tell you where to begin, complete court-appointed rehab. And she did. Then she's in the halfway house for a year with 30 recovering women as well. Then she gets the upgrade to the recovery house with 10 women. Then she goes from the temp job to the full-time job. Then she gets her, DU, her license restored after two years of DUI school from two DUIs. You see? And yet, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. What is the next thing? And that's what my sister didn't get from this person that I saw five years ago on Mother's Day to the person I saw this week in Huntington Beach overnight. 
It was going forward, literally, one day at a time, the right decisions, conflict resolution, all that kind of stuff, self-facing evaluation, all that kind of stuff, showing up for work on time, all those things, and then taking risk. It was a huge risk for her to move 3,000 miles to Florida and start a new life. But she had to do it, and she's done it. But like I've been saying lately, the biggest risk, you know, you know by now what the biggest risk is, to do nothing. That is the biggest risk on planet Earth, is to do nothing. That is the biggest risk, to do nothing. Because you'll get exactly nothing back. We have to take risk in life. That's what the journey of faith is with Jesus. So we need to establish that new beginning like my sister. I'll never forget how excited I was about a month after that. My mom told me, yeah, Barbie, got, she's back, went back to, just to jail, but she's back in the rehab program. I was like, okay, God, please, 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 please. And then, yeah. See, it's a, like it says in Jeremiah, God's always promising his people a future and a hope. So let the past be the past and grab hold of the mercies that are new every morning and go forward. Not based upon how you failed all this time previously with this person, these things, or these circumstances, but what you can be in Christ Jesus going forward with faith in him and who he is and his promises applied. Just can never quit going forward. The devil wants us to quit. We can never quit going forward. And yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord. In other words, do the right thing today. Following the Lord is the right thing today. Looking to Jesus, looking to the word of God, and obeying the things that we know we're called to do. And then finally, the last thing we see is in verse 21, uh, where he says, and serve the Lord with all your heart. Now, as you come down a little bit farther down, because it says serve the Lord with all your heart, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, yet we're not to turn aside, so we're going to do the right thing, and then we're going to do it with all of our heart. So it's all of our heart. Because usually when there's failure with sin, it's because it's not all of our heart. It's double-minded. It's half-hearted. It's apathy, laziness, excuses. But when it's really, you know, like when my sister said, you know what, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of living behind the dollar store by the, by the dumpster. I've had enough of this. I'm going to take ownership and I'm going to go forward with the Lord. I'm going to do what's right. With all my heart, I'm going to finish rehab, and I'm going to go forward with the next thing in my life. And that's how my sister turned her life around, and that's how we all turn our lives around. Because, you know, the saddest thing about my sister being on the streets is she had long been fruitful with the Lord for many years. She's very involved in women's ministries at different Calvary chapels. She knows the Bible so good. And, you know, when she would show up at Calvary Vista uh, drunk across the street, because her circle, she used to go to women's ministry and be a leader at Calvary Vista. So she'd show up like drunk and wanting food or whatever, fully intoxicated, and Rob Silvato would give the new pastors a chance at, can you fix Barbie? Can you fix Barbie, right? You, you feel like you got, you got the hot hand in ministry. Let's see how you do with Barbie Baran. Can you fix Barbie? Of course, they just, are so, they just love her so much. But until her heart said enough is enough, and I'm all in, and I'm never looking back, those pastors and Barbie were just going to talk in circles. She's going to quote all these scriptures. They'd walk away going like, they'd go to Rob Salvato and Joe Henschel's dad, Steve Henschel, go like, 
how does a woman know that much scripture when she's drunk right now talking to us? They literally said, Steve Henschel told me, there are pastors says that drunk girl, woman, knows the Bible better than I do, and she's quoting it to me while she's drunk. But it doesn't do any good unless you are all in. You got all your heart. And in these lower verses, it says that the, uh, there in verse 26, verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. There it is again, all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. So we own it, and we have to reestablish it, and here we have to consider it. So we're going to serve the Lord with all of our heart, but in serving the Lord with all of our heart going forward from failures and mistakes and frustrations and discouragement and these things, we're going to serve him in truth with all of our heart and consider the great things he's done for us. And I do think that that's something that's very beneficial to us to consider all the good things God has done for us. Because in this context, Samuel's saying, like, consider what the Lord has done for you. God had been good to them. When we talk about where the devil makes that which is good serving the Lord and make it look bad, and that which is bad being a slave to sin and make it look good. The devil calls good evil and evil good. And like somehow when God is withholding things or putting us through the fire of tribulations and testings and trials, that somehow God has it out for us when in fact he's actually preparing us for all that he has for us still in our life, yet alone what he has for us for eternity. Personally, I want a soft landing going into eternity. I do. I don't want to have a terminal illness. I don't want to suffer. You know, I wouldn't mind knowing, like, I had one day to know I'm going. You know? Some people don't even know. It's like, boom, you're gone. Right? Like that. But other people, they have months to know they're going and kind of calibrate it. And watching my mother-in-law die of cancer and how much pain she was in, the pain she was in was just the worst. I think I speak for all of us. I want a soft landing when I head for eternity. I want it's like, man, last night in Florida last week, it was during that severe weather. And when the pilot comes on, it's like, hey, nobody's serving anything. It's about to get bumpy. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, that East Coast, Texas kind of stuff. And we, you know, I haven't had that for a while. And I was like, oh. it was a short flight. Melbourne, Atlanta, so I wasn't, you know, Melbourne, Florida to Atlanta. I was like, Oh, but, you know, the big black clouds, and you're getting this, and, and, and everyone's like, you know, it's just like, oh. that's not how I want to land in eternity. I want to just be like, just smooth. Like when there's no wind in Dallas, and you're descending for like 30 minutes into DFW, like, smooth. But you know what? God may want it really choppy for me going to eternity. And I may need really choppy for eternity. Because the final moments of life is preparing us for eternity and what God has for us in eternity. And I remind myself of that when I think of my mother-in-law suffering. And I've watched other people suffer in severe pain on the back end. And I think, oh, Lord, couldn't you just give them a soft landing? Well, that's not my business. I'm not God of the universe over a trillion galaxies. And who am I to say? I didn't give them life, and it's, they're in his hands. I'm not the author and finisher of their faith as he is. But who's not to say that those things aren't preparing us for those things that are for eternity? In fact, they are, because all things are working together for good. And these light afflictions are working for a far more eternal weight of glory for the things of the kingdom. 
So we need to know the Lord's good to us, even if we think he's not. Even if he closed that door, severed that relationship, gave disfavor when we wanted favor. We need to be like Paul and be able to say, I've abounded and I have a base and I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he's working on in our life. And so we need to know that the Lord is good. The Lord is always good. God does what is good. God is light and him is no moral darkness at all. And God's always going to do good. God is light and him is the, Jesus is the light and the life of men. Everything Jesus touches is good and he brings life to it. We're living right now as we're gathered here tonight in Jesus' name. We're living in eternal life through faith in Jesus. He's made us alive eternally. We're living in time, space, and matter, the temporal, but within us is eternal glory. And we're living in eternal life as we're going through this. We're on a higher dimension. We literally are trans-dimensional right now with eternal life. And Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that you might have life and that more abundantly. And if we're focused on Jesus, who he is and what he's done and where he's at and what he's going to do. And if we're serving the Lord with all of our heart, we're going to come through the turbulence. We're going to come through whatever's coming. And we're going to know the Lord is good. We're going to consider who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, and what's, what's coming. And we're going to be good. We're going to say like Paul, I know who I've believed in. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. That the Lord is good. We're going to be like David and say, hey, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God is saying, consider, Samuel says, consider what great things God has done for you. So I'll just say this, you know, sometimes when Scott Cunningham's here leading worship, we'll say, hey, speak something out loud to the Lord, what you're thankful for, right? He likes to do that, and that's kind of cool, like, that's a cool thing that he does. And I'm not going to ask you to do that right now, but let's just think about the great things God has done for us, what he's doing for us right now. Because there are things that are obvious that he's done for us. You might say health a good marriage, or, or just whatever, a place to live, a roof over your head, money in the bank to buy food. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we have that we could so take for granted, but there's so much more good that he's doing for us and has done for us that we often aren't even aware of. And so Samuel, in this exhortation to go forward in the full strength with all your heart with the Lord from the failures, yes, let them be the past, but yet there's a future and a hope, so grab onto it and go forward. And, and then to, to walk in the truth, to serve him in truth with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done. Serve him with all your heart. That's, that's the future. And that's to be all in. And all the heart comes when you really think how good God is. Do you ever sometimes just sit, like maybe when you're reading your Bible or you have a quiet time, or a certain song comes on a certain way, do you just cry? Like, do you just have tears of gratitude for the good things God has done for you? Like, just, like, cry. Like, because, you know, the Bible says be still and know that he's God. And everything in our society is, is counterintuitive to being still. So I really encourage us to just make time to be still and meditate upon the Lord and his word and think about it. And there'll be times when you really think how good he is and you just, you just might start crying. And those are really good tears. So worship generation, body of Christ. In Jesus' name, Let's put the past behind us and not be crippled by it. Let's grab that comma and say, yeah, and yet. And let's reload with all of our heart, considering how good the Lord is, and go forward from victory to victory 
from glory to glory. Because that's, that's what this offer was for them and how much more for us in the fullness of the New Testament.